17, 16, and we're live. 20. No, we're not. Are you going to make me take my shoes off again, Doc? You know, I don't count that high. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans. shenanigans. Wow, speak much? Over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we have a panel of guests for you today. Uh, so because we are gentlemen, we're going to let Miss Cedar Sanderson go first. Can you introduce yourself to our listening or viewing audience? Hi, all. I am Cedar Sanderson, and I am a science fiction and fantasy author. And I am very happy to be here. I'm kind of having one of those moments where I'm losing what I track of what I'm trying to think and say at the same time. <laughs> and Chris, so, now you uh, what do you do? Oh, if, now, hold on. Hold on. So what do you write? What are you known for? So I write, um, <laughs> I write pretty much any genre that I am in the mood for. Um, and I have a pen name for things that are not science fiction or fantasy. And I am known best for the Pixie Noir um, trilogy. And that is, I hate to say urban fantasy because there's no actual herb in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not really rural fantasy either. It okay. starts out in Alaska and then moves under hill. So um, that was that was fun. And writing combat and that one led me to have to consult with my husband quite heavily. We weren't married then, but now we are. <laughs> so would you call it, I guess, tundra fantasy? Since it's not urban and it's not rural tundra fantasy, we can we can start something new. <laughs> Alaska's a tundra, right? I, I vaguely remember geography. So Tom Knighton, also known as Tank, um, has told me that my fantasy is banjo fantasy because I have I have a novel that's set um, Possum Creek Massacre. It's set in the depths of Appalachia. Okay. <laughs> I've been there. Nice place. Nice people. Banjo yes. fantasy just become a hashtag. <laughs> We're gonna make it a thing. All right, Chris, what about you? Who are you and what are you known for? Hey, everybody, Chris Denote, um, but known as the uh, lesser half of the uh, Chris and Jamie Denote duo, um, writing military science fiction so far, I'm looking to branch out into some other stuff. Uh, currently serving on active duty in the Florida Panhandle, uh, Air Force veteran, and uh, just happy to be here, JR, again. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Uh, so, but not everyone listens to every episode, so we have to pretend like they don't know who you are. All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. Uh, so I found Chris Denote through the Galaxy's Edge found fan club and through him, he said, we've got to do this interview. And so he used his colonel voice and I'm like, okay, yes, sir. We'll do the interview. And the rest, as they say, is history. Did you practice in a mirror for that one before we had that conversation? Uh, yeah, that and the knife hand. Oh, outstanding, outstanding. His wife was in the army, so she taught him how to do it, Doc. It's okay. I'm just laughing. I'm allowed to All laugh. Right, Doc. He's trying to work with the military, it's okay. the army here. What? All right, Doc, you get to ask your favorite questions. Let's do the religion question. The religion questions. Wonderful. Wait, you didn't say how you knew Cedar. Uh, actually, because I said we're here and we're here. Oh, 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 okay. What? 
I can answer that one now. Now, how Chris knew Cedar, that's a good story. Um, Let's know. How'd you meet her? Were you stalking her? I started reading uh, her short stories in the other fiction. I think it was the Mad Genius blog. That's where I think I first saw her work. Um, She was in that whole um, circle around uh, that group, uh, Sarah Hoyt, uh, uh, Brad Torges, and a couple of Bain authors and some indie authors, too. So started reading some of those. I liked her short stories, uh, especially since I was newly married and with a baby girl at the time. So those just kind of uh, seemed pretty cool. And uh, we actually met up at uh, when we were stationed in Dayton uh, one time. She brought her family by the National Museum of the Air Force, and I got to play tour guide. Uh, cool. And I got most of the stuff right. There were a few things I got wrong. I corrected myself to 100% uh, before they left. So, you know, it's all good now. <laughs> Wonderful. So, religion. We're going to start with sci-fi. Ender's Game, Edge of Tomorrow, or Stormship. Starship Troopers. Gosh, I'm sorry. It's been a long day. Starship Troopers. Now that I've made up a new movie, we'll go with the original. Cedar, which which one would be your pick? Oh, my pick would always be Starship Troopers. Um, Ender's Game, I enjoyed, but I haven't reread. I'm not sure I ever actually reread it. Starship Troopers, though, is a regular (laughs) reread. And Edge of Tomorrow, I have to confess, I don't believe I've ever read it at all. That's fair. You could have watched the movie, though. Okay. What about you, Chris? I um, am not a film geek at all, so movie references <laughs> tend to go right over me. So Edge of, what is it, Edge of Forever, Edge of Tomorrow? Ed- Edge of Tomorrow. Right. Okay, so that should tell you right Edge there. I'm familiar with it. Um, kind of tough, but um, so cool little story about both. Um, I read Remy, you know, our daughter, Ender's Game. I read it to put her to sleep when she was like three. And here's the scary thing. She actually remembers bits and pieces of it because she asks me about it all the time. And I'm like, that (laughs) was not what I had in mind, but okay. Um, So that's neat. But uh, Starship Troopers, because believe it or not, and this is super meta, that was actually a class text when I was at the Air Force Academy, which kind of think about the whole book that that was one of the two texts that we had for our philosophy 310 class, which was ironically enough, philosophy of, you know, a philosophy of war. So like one semester would do Ender's Game and the other would do Starship Troopers. So I got the Starship Troopers uh, semester, but we read both in that class. And the cool. instructor, great guy, was a enlisted Marine in Vietnam who became a Navy chaplain. He's a retired Navy chaplain. So this dude was, uh, it was pretty intense. It was actually more than any other, well, with one other exception, one of the two classes from the zoo I remember the most. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Don't think we're going to get a quite as deep an answer with the next three, which are Dragonheart, Aragon, or Dungeons and Dragons, which is also a movie, which is a movie as well. I of those <laughs> three, the only one I've seen is Aragon. So. <laughs> There we go. I think Dragonheart and Aragon are also books. They're also books. Yes. Yes, I I have read Aragon. Dungeons and Dragons has books, but I don't think there is a book just called other than the manual (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons. Is Dragonheart the one where Sean Connery did the voice? Yes. Okay, that's all I remember. I have seen that one. (laughs) Okay, so that one wins by default. It's the one that really should win. (laughs) 
Okay. So. Okay. Uh, with, uh, you know, we love both the fantasy and the sci-fi here, but which one was your first love, Cedar? Oh, um, so science fiction, because I've always wanted to be a scientist and it took me a long time to finally achieve that, but I did. Um, and so when I started writing, I wanted to write science fiction and what came out instead was fantasy. How about you, Chris? So what kind of scientist are you? I'm on, currently, what kind of scientist are you? I'm currently a cosmetic chemist. Oh, cool. <laughs> Jar knew that was oh, going to come out. Oh, a fangirl. She's a chemist, too. I like chemistry. It's fun. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. What about, um, about sci-fi? Just because, um, because of my dad. So my dad, you know, was a big 1950s, uh, early 60s sci-fi fan. All the bad, cheesy stuff, and then all the uh, the cool stuff too, like them and uh, the original version of the thing that came out in '51. That sort of thing. That was his jam. So he brought me up with a love of that stuff. Okay, so what was your first answer? What? I said that was a perfectly acceptable answer. Okay, well, he, and he kind of answered number seven, which means Cedar gets a full access to answer what is your first memory engaging in speculative fiction. Well, a couple of minutes ago, I said that I don't really watch films, but I can remember. Can watching... No, no. Well, it's funny because one of my first memories of speculative fiction actually is um, Star Trek, the original series. And um, I remember watching that with my dad, who was evidently a really big fan, but I didn't know that until later in life um, because I have these vague memories of watching it. But it wasn't until uh, I was probably 10 that dad told me, had I been a boy, I would have been named DeForest after DeForest Kelly. <laughs> In which I had no idea dad was a Trekkie before Trekkies were really a thing. <laughs> That's so cool. How about you, Chris? That would have been a harder name to explain for a boy, for a girl. Um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The uh, Disney car, the Disney movie that came out. Um, that's the uh, first thing I actually remember because uh, I used to watch out my dad and uh, you know I think my grandfather too was a big fan of that. So that was it. That was the first one. That's an. It's a great movie. I enjoyed it when I watched it. So I didn't. I did as well. Although Jules Verne, good guy. Um, right although we have some people have we've run into who weren't. I was going to say, Doc's run into a few people who were convinced he wasn't dead. I have. Uh, so It kind of disturbs me. Yeah, but uh, we've told that story on other episodes, so if you listen more regularly, people, you'd have heard it. All right. So, Cedar, what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? I really love the I get to explore um, ideas and concepts in different ways. When I'm writing science fiction, I tend to be exploring the theme of what makes a human human um, and what gives personhood to. And then when I'm writing fantasy, um, I, I, I tend to be all about my characters. So it's, it's I'm exploring um, people and their interactions. And um, I don't know exactly why I 
tend to gravitate towards fantasy other than it kind of gives me a way to explore people in different ways than necessarily. And my science, I'd love to write hard science, but um, my background is actually mostly in botany, which doesn't necessarily lend itself to Sci um, to hard science fiction, botany, biology. I have an unnatural love for invertebrates. <laughs> Somebody needs to. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> so her alien planets will be super duper accurate people. Don't question her science. She's got this. And, and they will have fungus and microbes. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So, Chris, what about you? What is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Um, I like throwing people, ordinary people in the extraordinary circumstances and see what they do because I think it reveals character. It reveals who they are. And I think I like that uh, aspect more than anything else is that it kind of like stripping away the ordinary somehow makes you see who they really, really are. Like, you know, a little deep, I guess, but there you go. Sounds like the concept behind no, basic training. Yeah. So how did your love <laughs> of speculative fiction translate into you writing stories in this space, Cedar? I didn't start writing until I was about 14, which is kind of, um, I've gathered a little odd for most authors. They tend to write early and often. Um, but I was always making up stories. I just used to tell them to my sister rather than writing them down. I hated the physical act of writing. And then when I found Bain's Bar, and frankly, that saved my life and my sanity um, because I had run out of things to read and that, that, <laughs> that was a problem. Um, but it seemed like there was this community of writers and it was a very writer friendly place to be. So I wound up getting sucked into a writing group with Sarah Hoyt, Dave Freer, Kate Polk and some other folks. Um, and that's how I came to want be publishing later on um, after I'd been writing and getting comfortable with it. They infected you with the writing bug. <laughs> they did. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Okay. And what about you? Um, yeah, I guess when I was a kid, you know, you get those writing assignments and um, I got two big loves. I've got history is the one and, uh, you know, speculative fiction is the other. So I'll just bounce back and forth between doing stuff like that. And my dad, you know, encouraged it. So did my mom. So a lot of times I'd bring home a school assignment. It was for creative writing. And my dad and I would just bounce ideas off each other. And uh, we really like to try and do funny stuff especially. So that's how it got started. Then I did a little bit of writing in high school, a little bit in college. I uh, never really went anywhere. A lot of it was game-related fiction, I guess, uh, just trying to figure stuff out. And then um, just kind of always had it in the back of my mind. And, um, you know, it's come up before on this show, but Michael Z. Williamson gave uh, myself and my wife, Jamie, our big, you know, an opportunity to go do it for real. So it was like, you know what? It's time to do it. So there you go. So okay, so if they don't like your writing, they need to blame Mad Mike. Got it. Send him the hate mail. <laughs> All right, so, Doc, next one is yours. Yes, it is. 
um, as you know, many authors let their real life experiences influence their work and how they tell stories. But were there any formidable moments that really stuck with you and shaped how you write and tell stories? Uh, um, I actually tend to be, I think, nicer to my characters than sometimes life has been to me. The one story where um, Sarah Hoyt had asked me to, um, what was it? What was the term she used? She wanted me to, to bleed a little on the page. And when she read the story, she's like, I didn't mean open a vein. <laughs> and that's also the story that gets categorized as horror by people. So <laughs> readers are never quite sure what to do with that one. Um, Memories of the Abyss, if anyone really wants to look. Um, I just read it. Oh, I just read okay. it on the plane back from my last uh, TDY, actually. Ah, That's now I'm curious. Now I'm curious what you thought of it. <laughs> well, I left it a pretty good review. If that tells you anything. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> so I, yeah, I tend not to put too much of what happened to me earlier in life into there, but I definitely use my motherhood. That gets into stories a lot. Work with what you got. Kids okay. will create crazy stories. <laughs> my blog, my what about them. you, Chris? Um, go ahead, Cedar. You were saying something? No, yeah, Cedar, go ahead. I was just going to say my blog post today involves a spider that they thoughtfully provided with a force field and left on the kitchen table for me because they know I love bugs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nougat from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. All right. What about you, Chris? Um, you want me to repeat the question? No, no, no. Kind of like how we got, I got pulled into this basically doing consulting work. Like uh, some of the writers were asked, well, Hey, does this sound authentic? Is this something that like uh, an airman would say, it's just something that a senior officer would say or whatever. And uh, from that, then it turned into like work for hire. It's like, Hey, I want you to write this or could you write this because you've got the experience to back it up, you know? Um, so yeah, it absolutely draws on real life. I mean, it's not word for word, but, um, it's definitely, uh, what, what, what do they use in film all the time? Inspired by loosely based, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. So there's quite a bit, quite a bit. So, so is your security clearance high enough that they've let you see the secret space force base on the dark side of the moon? Um, dude, my SSO reviews everything that I write. So, um, you know, as, if it's in print, that means I'm good to go. So I'm not going to answer the rest of that question. <laughs> as JR right, gets himself in trouble. Uh, service. Well, we actually had that joke once where I, I people didn't roll with it as well as Chris did. And I'm like, made a joke that they worked for the CIA. And then afterwards, like, yeah, the CIA wants you to edit that out. That can't go in the, I'm like, oh, crap. I was joking. But uh, apparently sometimes contract work isn't just contract work. So speaking of military science fiction uh, and science fiction in general, Chris, you obviously mentioned that you served in the Air Force. So we ask all of our authors that are also military veterans, but how do you feel like your time in uh, uniform affects the stories you tell? Um, mostly the people. And then um, some of the little description things like, uh, one episode from Iraq that is totally making its way into the novel. That's the secret project that you're aware of, JR. 
is um, I call it the day the world turned day glow orange. And it was a description of uh, a sandstorm that happened on July 4th, 2009. Uh, so it's like some things are just so vivid, you can't make that shit up, as they like to say. Oh, pardon me. But yeah, you can't make it up. You, you almost have to go from real life because you can't do it better. I've had incidences where I included real life and the editor came back and was like, no, this is too unrealistic. You, you crossed that line. And I'm like, wait, that happened to me. And they're like, I don't care. It's not, no one's going to believe you. So take it out. So I get that. And sandstorms were, if they weren't so miserable to live through, they were beautiful to watch. I, I feel like if I could watch them from orbit where I didn't have to like endure the sock of the sand, uh, it might be something beautiful because I, I went through a few. So no, the, um, I, I actually, no. we actually tried to get Cuisinart to give us a commercial because my, uh, one of my guys was a electrician on the outside. He did electrical wiring for cars. And so he rigged up a Cuisinart coffee pot to the Humvee unofficial off the record, of course. And so when everything, including our Sengars broke in the middle of that sandstorm, the Cuisinart coffee pot kept going. So we filmed it and we thought for sure we're going to get commercial rights and they wouldn't answer our emails. It's very rude of them, by the way. But the coffee pots were good, so I'll take that for what you will. All right, Cedar, oh. did you uh, did you also serve in the military? I did not serve in the military. Um, I am the child of an Air Force sergeant, spent most of my early childhood moving around with him. And I married a former infantryman. Um, and the anthology... The anthology will be dedicated to one of my cadets. I was in the Civil Air Patrol for about eight years. I had intended to go into the Air Force. Um, I would have been third generation. So I didn't. I Instead, I lost my mind at 19, got married, and had four children. You know, that's a good thing to do, too, yeah, if you're happy. Children, I'll do it to you. I hated being pregnant. I'm always amazed when people right. are willing to do it more than once. Okay, so um, do you ever draw on people that you knew um, off the record, unofficial, however you got to do it to not get sued, Chris? Uh, yeah, all the time. And I've gotten very good at talking to people like saying, okay, this is how we're going to change this here. And um, um, I, I make sure everybody gets a good read through before something uh, hits print just to make sure. Um, but yeah, it, it comes in all the time. And, and, and a lot of times I've been lucky. People feel flattered. You know, they at least have something that they saw or did get referenced, um, you know, it's memorialized a little bit, you know, because like we said, you know, people don't want to believe half the time that this stuff actually happened. Well, it did. Yeah. So what about you, Cedar? Because you've got the unique perspective of having been uh, a, both a child of the military and married to it. So do, does that color the way you tell stories, do you think, at all? Oh, I think it probably does color how I tell stories. And there's certainly been things that I've put in books and, well, I actually put something into Pixie Noir and then took it out again because I had beta readers that refused to believe that there are bison in Alaska. So. But there are. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Oh, okay. um, there's quite a large herd at this point and uh, they now allow hunting. I, I think at theologies and even I know that. So my my uh, there was not hunting allowed when my grandparents were homesteading up there, but there pro was probably some bison in their freezer anyway. <laughs> it just magically it's left by Santa, man. No, no, it's no. left by Santa. It's moose meat, okay. really. 
<laughs> okay. So uh, we'll talk that back to you, Chris. So we've talked about how, yeah, uh, we've talked about how your time in the uniform affects the stories as you tell them, but how does it affect the way you engage with content as a reader, consumer of all things? I, you don't want to go to the movies with me. <laughs> I love how he's just yeah, so action honest. movies and me. Yeah, uh, you don't want to go to the movies. Do you count the number of times they fire? Uh, I count the number of times they don't change magazines. Uh, does so that count? I, I, you count seen... I count when missiles do things that missiles can't do. I uh, yeah, I'm one of them. Have you seen Ad Astra? Uh, no, I have not yet. It's on the list, but I have not. Okay, seen it. so there's a scene. And you get a really odd looks when you're on a on a date and you start critiquing and fussing about not just the science, but the military in it. And I'm sitting there and I'm and he's going, Oh my God. Oh, you, you've met well, you've you've met Jamie. So um what's worse is she sits there and looks at the screen and goes, dude, six seventy dash one. Uh, you know, especially what was the show that was the biggest offender, Bones? <laughs> You know, the character Booth is supposed to be a sergeant major for Pete's sake, and he's got the collar. He's not. No, yeah, no, yeah. She loses her mind when she sees that. It's hilarious. Sorry. Oh, Jamie. yeah, no. You're going to watch I this. have the same Sorry. problem. But, um, but at least you're married to her in military. I was a date with a civilian. Yeah. We'll leave well, it at that. There you go. There's your problem right there. We'll leave it at But, um, okay, fair. I know I always get mad when they just leave equipment laying around. And I'm like, no, no, you got to sign for that. You don't just leave that shit. No, you, you police that crap up. I mean, that was my greatest fear in Iraq. It wasn't dying. It wasn't the firefights. This is the fact I signed for all that equipment. And if just one of them was lost, I'd be in Leavenworth still. Oh, dude, CIF. And the NCOIC of three gun trucks. I, no, I, I signed for three uh, 50 cows, three saws, plus my weapon and then i had everyone who worked for me who i was responsible for even if i didn't know no you don't just leave that crap I, i've had to walk out of movies because of that i'm like no no i'm done yeah now no, I the for to come to home theater, my friend I, I got I very good at those yes, yes my so what about you here? so i'm laughing <laughs> yeah, because that's a good thing. Uh, about halfway through your rant just now my husband who you can't see he's behind me said yes <laughs> <laughs> and the only two movies he's ever gone to see with me in the theater have been guardians of the galaxy one and two and i figure it's because they're extremely unrealistic and you know that going in so <laughs> that's fair yeah you wait for him to come home although it's quicker now so you don't have to wait as long with the streaming services. So they're leaving. Hey, with some of the streaming services so, is instant. I will also say that I cannot okay. watch any of like the CSI type movies. Um, because even though I never got to work in forensic science, that's what my degree is in. And even before my degree, I knew most of it was wrong, but that's a whole nother thing. I also have issues with anything any movies that are talking about infectious disease, because usually it's wrong, very wrong. So zombies, not so much a thing. I, think. I have to. And oddly enough, that's what my story so in the anthology has. <laughs> so I, I have to wonder how many criminals got thought got caught because they thought they did it right because they watched those crime movies. There have been a couple like, that I'm like aware. almost like a crime thriller comedy. So I, I, there's almost a comedy in there for someone who does that because that would be hilarious. 
All right. So, Doc, you, you get yeah. to ask your favorite fandom questions. Yay. Okay. So, transitioning away from that to fandom, as JR said, for once he's right. Has anybody asked for your autograph out in public? Uh, Cedar. We're just going to go with Cedar first all night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'm alphabetically Cedar is before Chris, but. No, it's because I'm old and, and ladies be, you know, ladies first. And well, Chris has been on the show already. <laughs> so as far as being asked for my autograph out in public, um, yes and no. So if, Yes, but only after being told that I was a writer. I've not um, yet encountered a fan in the wild. I have been asked for autographs at odd times during conventions by people, though. That surprised me, the fact that they knew who I was and they were carrying around one of my books. That was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to edge away here. <laughs> who are That's you? Awesome. What's your angle? <laughs> okay, how about you, Chris? Uh, no. Well, there we go. Chris is so quick. <laughs> Have you spotted anybody ever reading one of your books out in public? Cedar? No, not yet. One of these days, maybe. <laughs> How about you, Chris? I've seen people reading um, the uh, Freehold stuff out in public, which feels good. Not even necessarily the book that, you know, I'm in, but just the fact that it's in the series is a good start. Awesome. So you were telling us something about a lending library, though, before the podcast? Yeah, I had a couple of extra copies lying around like you do. So um, I drop them off here and there and maybe scribble a signature in there. Um, so we got one here in the neighborhood and dropped off a copy of Freehold Resistance product placement. Uh, and I noticed that a couple of weeks later it was gone. And uh, on a TDY out to Buckley Space Force Base, yes, Space Force Base. Now, uh, a couple of uh, <laughs> months ago, I dropped off a copy there, too. And uh, last time I was TDY out there, I noticed that it was also gone. So I'm like, okay, this is a good sign. Good sign. Leave a review. Whoever that was, if you're, if you're listening, leave a review. Thank you. Okay. That's awesome. The lending libraries are really great. And it's neat. I've seen more of them cropping up in the last couple of years than before. And it's awesome because books can be hard to find. Good books can be hard to find. So in sometimes like putting something in that may not be at your normal lo local library, it's kind of cool because um, I always try to put YA ones in that I like, like um, the Stephanie Harrington series, Moon Tracks by Jody Lynn Nine, in, in them because they're ones that are appropriate for any age and they're ones that kids may not necessarily think to pick up or and as a former librarian, a lot more adults read YA than will let on. Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I think that some of that is just because it's it's fun. Kind of want something light sometimes. Not everything has to be doom and gloom or waves and waves of missiles in excruciating detail. I've said that to him. If you know who I'm referring to, I have said this to the person. <laughs> and I can imagine what his reaction was, which would be. And he laughed and he told me that. Well, his fans like it, so he's doing something right. And I went, I understand. That's Did you say roll pods? Uh, I know somebody else said roll pods. Okay, good. I thought you said roll oh, tide. Never mind. No, no, no. We don't roll tide in this place. 
<laughs> we roll pods, not tides. You're not a fan, Doc? Uh, You're not a fan? <laughs> She's going to kill me. Roll tide? Roll I'm tide total- pods? <laughs> sure, we'll go with that and get back on track, Doc. Ask your fandom <laughs> questions. <laughs> I'm totally a fan of pods, not of roll tide. It's okay. My family does Georgia Tech. So what's your weirdest or funniest fan interaction since you started writing, Cedar? I had a lady walk up to me at a convention and tell me that she'd never read any of my books, but she read my blog all the time and found me inspiring. And I was like, (laughs) you think she would have picked up a book? Yeah, though I I know. I mean, books, please, because that's how what pays for the blog. (laughs) But no, it was it was still it was kind of sweet. It was just one of those of that was weird. How about you, Chris? Um, I got red shirted in uh, John Ringo's Live Free or Die series, and every now and then I run into somebody who's shocked that I'm actually a real person. John, John, like redshirt the entire continent, so that you got your specific name in, is awesome. And on screen lines too. And on screen lines, I'm like, uh, I'm like the character from Galaxy's Quest, you know, crewman number seventeen. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. If you haven't figured out, we're fans, dear listener. Quoted all the time. All right, so this is where we talk about everything our guests have written. So, Cedar, can you give us the Reader's Digest highlights of your body of work? Well, let's see here. I have 10 novels out, and I'm not sure how many short stories, a few dozen. Um, And I also have two children's books, two coloring books. No, make that three coloring books as of last week. I collaborated with Law Dog. He didn't realize he was collaborating at first. He thought he was just writing funny sit reps of his dogs chasing chickens. And then I started illustrating them. And then the fans got involved and wanted me to make it into an adult coloring book. So why not? Um, that sounds amazing. Oh, it, we had a blast with that. And the fans also were like, you can't change the language. So it's an adult coloring book because salty language. Oh, we need to give that to Grandpa Walt Jr. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be in a lot of people's gag gifts this year. (laughs) But um, as far as my novels go, I have the Pixie Noir trilogy and then East Witch, which is a standalone in the same universe. Um, Tanager's Fledglings, which is space opera inspired by Andre Norton and Citizens of the Galaxy. And um, a pair of standalone YA novels, Vulcan's Kittens and the God's Wolfling, which Basically, I threw the world myths into a blender and uh, hit puree and then threw some science fiction in via Clark's Law. So <laughs> Nicely done. And that, right. What about you, Chris? Uh, so far, two co-written shorts, um, soon to be two solo shorts, uh, a third co-written short on the way, uh, first quarter of 22, which will be under a pseudonym. Um, novel in the works and uh, a couple other projects, uh, a little bit of nonfiction, two journal articles uh, that are uh, published out there, working on a little bit more nonfiction too. Um, and I'm doing game design uh, now apparently too. So uh, Dan Verson Games uh, is putting out a uh, uh, another entry in their leader series. This will be Cold War Leader, uh, Eagle Leader specifically, uh, getting to play around with uh, USAF and Navy fighters in the uh, heart of the Cold War. 
uh, get to put my military history degree to work for once. So you're going to sleep at what? Never? When you're dead? I don't sleep now. I wait. <laughs> okay. Insomnia <laughs> for the win, I guess. All right, Doc. What? Okay. Question 20. <clears throat> <laughs> um, okay, so from now on, either one of you can answer, so we can... I don't know. We don't have a buzzer, so you can't ring the buzzer, but we can figure that out. <laughs> so, um, but right now we're here to talk about Can't Go Home Again, which is an anthology that you guys are both here to talk about and are in. So what inspired this anthology? Chris did. Okay, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you inspired everybody in the anthology. So what happened? Uh, oh boy, this is uh, this is a weird one. Um, so yeah, this is a weird one. So last Christmas, uh, just before Christmas time, I uh, took the family out to uh, go get our daughter her picture with Santa Claus, and um, it was a very unusual night. Just uh, let's just put it that way. Um, so it was so weird because I don't want to spoil the story, but because it's the front half of the story is very much based on more closely than I like to admit on real life. Um, just, uh, I couldn't let it go. It bothered me so much that even with all the other projects, uh, in the queue that it was like, I have to start writing this stuff down and do something with it later. I don't care. Um, so there was that, um, there was also the fact that, uh, our daughter had become a big fan of those two uh, movies on Netflix, uh, the Christmas Chronicles, which, you know, mm -hmm. Jamie and I are sitting there going, Oh, thank God they don't suck. And uh, Kurt Russell is a salty uh, Santa Claus is actually pretty good. And Goldie Hawn's pretty awesome, too. So there was a little bit of that. There was a lot of rewatching White Christmas and realizing that that movie was more about um, vet bros doing vet bro stuff and uh, dealing with the aftermath of war than I realized when I was young. Uh, and then it, it started sticking with me. It wouldn't leave me alone. There was a John C. Wright short story from years ago, too, that really stuck with me that I wanted to do a bit of an homage to. There was, honestly, still dealing with the death of my dad in 2017, uh, right before Thanksgiving, that um, I was still having some stuff with. Um, and also, um, just, just a lot going on. Um, so I sat down, um, wrote about the first half of it, then Jamie and I caught COVID, let it go for a couple of weeks until uh, we recovered and then uh, was having a hard time trying to finish it. And then she, like she always does, says or does something and then boom, uh, banged it out and had no clue what the hell to do with this thing. I mean, no clue. I'm sitting there going, this is completely not marketable. There is no, there is no audience I can think of. It's this weird mismatch of fantasy, science fiction, weird tale, military fiction, you know, a lot of autobiographical stuff in there that I didn't intend to be. Uh, some tribute to some uh, guys I knew. Um, there's a lot of references to aircraft mishaps in this thing, um, some of which are based on reality. Um, I just needed, I guess, to get a lot off my chest. And then I was like, I have no clue what the hell to do with this thing. I figured once we started getting our um, our mailing list and our website together, this would be the freebie. So I started sending it off to people just to get some um, recommendations on it and edits and also just opinions because I didn't want to offend nobody. Uh, so I asked KCSL and Casey Moore's to give it a good read. And Casey Moore's reaction was mostly, 
too much commas. Get, delete like three quarters of your commas. Uh, so his inputs were, were fantastic, by the way. Um, it wouldn't be anywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, but just to get a little bit of voice of approval, like, hey, you did good. Because it is an aviation-centric story, too. Um, and a little bit of, you know, folklore. You know, a big factor of the story is NORAD Track Santa, which if you didn't know, that's a real thing. Um, and I've worked for NORAD before, so that was a uh, kind of a piece of it. And then, every year in my family. And then I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. And so, you know, see there, I just, I thought she'd done enough stories about family and stuff that I just, for some reason, I was like, oh, what the heck? Maybe she'll at least give me a good opinion on this. And so I just fired it off and said, uh, you know, if she says it's good, then this will be the free gift. This will be the freebie, the, the giveaway. And when I read the story, um, it got me all choked up. Now, to kind of set the scene, about the time I got this story from Chris, I had been going over um, some stuff with a good friend of mine, Dorothy Grant, who's an, also an excellent writer and uh, military adjacent. But um, she and I were reading together and, and commenting together Arsenal of Hope by Jen Satterley. And I cannot recommend it enough if you are dealing with someone in your life that has PTSD. And it give, is, is literally giving tools to work with either um, if you're dealing with some post-traumatic stress on your own or if you have someone that you love that is. It gives you a glimpse of what they might be going through and some of the ways that you can work on it together. Um, it's a companion book to her husband, Tom Satterley's book. Um, but Arsenal of Hope was, for me, it was really speaking into a lot of stuff I was dealing with. So at the same time, I'm kind of dealing with life and, and having read this book, I get Chris's story. And he said something about giving away for free. And I'm like, can you hold on to it? I'd like to do an anthology. Um, and I knew that there were some people that I could ask that would bring enough weight to the anthology so that it wasn't going to just be, because this will be my first anthology. This is the first time I've, I've edited an anthology. Um, I had said for years that even though I own a publishing house, a publishing imprint, that I wasn't going to publish anyone other than myself. Well, I broke that last year um, for a good friend working together on a children's story. So I was like, why not? We're just going to do this one too, because this, um, I have really people in my family that have really deep struggles with PTSD. Um, one of the stories that I was honored to accept into this anthology is actually written by my grandmother. And it is a thinly veiled autobiography of her life with my step-grandfather who was two and a half tours as Marine recon in Vietnam. Um, and it tell some of his story that I didn't know and some of the things that she dealt with in the 40 years that they've been together. So this was very much a passion project for me and Chris just kind of sparked that um, I can do this. So as a reader, 
a lot of stuff that I've dealt with in my life, I have worked through by reading and by using fiction as a way to give me a window into how other people work with things beyond just me. And I think that's what we can do. What I said to people when I was asking for stories for this is something that Chris's story had, which it had to have hope. Um, that was the, the, it's a PTSD theme, but the thread running through every story that I accepted had to be hope and healing. And that's where this came from was um, the young man that I'll be dedicating the anthology to, Staff Sergeant Jason Hurdle, lost his struggle in 2014. He was one of my cadets and he had gone into the Air Force. Um, while he was in the Air Force, he was in a very bad um, accident riding his motorcycle and he almost lost a leg. He was never able to overcome the pain following that and um, unfortunately lost the struggle with his demons at the end. And so that, on top of some stuff that I've dealt with in my life, meant that um, I really needed to do this because there's too many people that lose that fight. So speaking of speaking of that, there's actually because this will be airing in November. Uh, November is the uh, Mission 22s uh, through Galaxy's Edge, and I'll link to that as well in the show notes. But they do a fundraiser every year, and Mission 22 is an organization that actually seeks to prevent veteran suicide. Uh, so it's uh, something near and dear to our hearts as well. I've lost friends that way. Um, sometimes you can win the war, but not the peace. So yeah, that's it's something that's hard to talk about, but we need to. Um, anything that I may go off this royalty wise of donating to Mission 22. I'm not going to pocket a cent. Uh, that's not just to be a, that's not to be, oh, yay, look at me. That's just because, um, that's, it's, it, it's just the right thing to do. Um, I was surprised while writing this is just how much poured out because, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting too, because, um, I've been a commander, you know, and uh, dealing with some of this stuff, uh, it's it's different when you're a leader, and I think you know that Jr. too from your time in. Um, it, it just is because now you have to find ways to parse the experiences of those who are under your care, and and that's that can be a little different. Uh, not to mention that you know you've been doing it for a while. You know I'm over 20 years now, um, and after a while things don't start don't work as good as they used to. And uh, so a big part of the story, I was, I was actually at a pretty low point when I wrote it because um, dealing with arthritis and a couple other physical things, and that just, you know, worked its way into it. Um, so, hey, you know, uh, case in point. So there is also sort of that theme of when you start coming towards everybody's time in uniform ends, what's left afterwards? So that was a, that was sort of an important thing to start looking at too, because and that's where the hope aspect came in is because you can't let that just be the totality of who you are. You know, a, a wise friend of mine once told me that you can't, if you let your job be the coolest thing about you, that's not a good place to be. So I, I wanted to put that actually into writing in a bigger way. And I think one of the places uh, that, that, I've at least noticed from my experience, and I wasn't an officer, I was just a, you know, junior NCO, but 
one of the things that they the VA therapy model for PTSD, especially for combat veterans, is this: it's not your fault. It was war mentality. And that might work if you're a private just following orders, but when you're actually making decisions, sometimes bad things happen and it is your fault because you made the wrong decision. And you can parse that a million ways of, you know, you didn't have a lot of information, whatever, like therapy's there for that, but they just don't seem inherently set up to acknowledge that it could potentially be your fault. And that makes it very difficult for some people to get help. Uh, ultimately, what you end up having to do is sort of form your own therapy circle, but that can be dangerous too, because it's easy to let one toxic person bring everyone sort of down. So it's it's a balancing act getting help after, especially when you were the one making those decisions and people died. And I just don't think the VA is quite caught up with that. They're still going off the everyone's a drafty, it wasn't your fault Vietnam model. That just doesn't work for, for the military as is. And so it makes it very difficult, I think, for some people. So... No, I it's think like, uh, Chris and I've had that conversation off there a hundred times. Yeah, I think if it's going to evolve, it has to acknowledge that one size is a fit all and that leaders need a different care model if you want to use something that sounds buzzwordy. Um, but uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, been the realization that um, coming to. And guess what? Um, those who served in the military, not everything is a result of a combat loss, like Cedar already described. And, uh, you know, kind of one of the what happens in the story, it's not a combat story. Uh, that I wrote what's, whatsoever, because one, I didn't feel right uh, writing that, but two, you know, I wanted to pay homage to you. I've lost more friends, honestly, in peacetime uh, training accidents. Uh, no, we don't use the word accident, we use mishap. Uh, then I have, uh, and I have lost friends, you know, uh, in, in combat or, or overseas, but it's been mostly uh, aircraft mishaps because it's a dangerous business. And, you know, it's sort of a accidental right stuff tribute to you know with that so um but all of that it's all attached to the service you know all of it comes out of it it's you live with that uh sort of uh, uh you accept the contract as it says right that this could happen to you or somebody you know but sooner or later you got to confront it i guess especially when you come towards the end so there you go yeah they 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 teach you how to put the uniform on and do the things but they don't always teach you very well how to come home again and I wanted to say something to you. You were um, you were talking about the VA and how it was um, their model is it's not your fault. My PTSD stems from abuse, and so I vehemently reject the victim label. And by saying that it's not your fault, it's something that happened to you. It's removing your own agency and control. Um, so I am very much not a victim. Um, and I have also had to come to grips with the fact that some of the things that happened to me or to my children were because I was the one that was responsible and in charge and wasn't dealing well with it because trauma and issues. Um, so I would say that part of the problem with the VA thing then is the fact that you have to give um, the person that they're trying to help, they need that agency back. It can't just be that they're the helpless victim all the time because that that's a horrible way to be. I think that it's a fine line because yeah. there is a certain level of when you are particularly junior enlisted, you don't have as much agency as people think. 
and as you as you would like, or even sometimes when looking back on it, or at the time as you feel you have, have, if that makes sense. Like there are times when we serve where we can look back and we can go, I could have done it better. I did have a little bit more freedom than it seems at the time. But you are right. There is also a, um, it's a fine line between doing that and teaching people to just not take responsibility for their role in the situation. And junior enlisted are going to have some of the same problems that I had because I started all of this when I was 19. I was a kid. So. Your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25. But um. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I led essentially a rifle squad before I was old enough to drink in the States. So I wasn't trusted with beer, but I could be trusted to end a life. And that always sort of that dichotomy of, of what that means in our warrior culture was always striking. And when you're, when you're 19 and 20 and you say that, oh, you'll, you'll disagree when you get older, you're saying that because you're underage and you can't. And I'm 40 now looking back and I'm like, no, I, I really think you either don't let them in or you say they're old enough to drink. You can't have it both ways. Well, and in, that's part of that agency be, because they treat you as. In Georgia, you used to be able, if you had an, uh, there was a time when I was in college where you, if you had an active duty military ID, you were old enough to drink in the state of Georgia. Now, the wild one was I knew a soldier they who was so young. That out slowly. I knew a soldier who was so young, she couldn't buy her own cigarettes, even on post as an active duty soldier. Okay. I bought her her cigarettes. That's her NCO looked but... at me and went, really? And I went, there's nothing illegal with her smoking, just with her buying them. She's an active duty soldier. <laughs> I don't care. Write me up. Let's see how far this goes. We, and they worked me up on it. We deployed with a guy that was, was 17. He actually couldn't technically deploy. But since we crossed the dateline, his birthday happened. His 18th birthday happened while we were in the sky. So they were able to keep him. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's weird how that works sometimes <laughs> in the games we play, but, uh, we're here to talk about an anthology. So let's get that cover up there. Uh, and you can tell us where, let me show, there we go. Uh, what's the story behind this art? I'm going to make it to full screen real quick. So, so where did this, cause it's, it's definitely very catching with the colors and, and the art that's used. Looks like somebody with British, uh, camo pattern. So what's the story of this cover? So the story with the cover is, um, so I do, I do cover art and design for others. Um, I'm very limited on who I accept for clients these days, but I was doing, I was working on a cover for um, actually for Dorothy Grant that I just mentioned a bit ago. And I had found this um, soldier. That's a, it's a, he's a stock model um, image. And then I have worked my magic to make it um, into artwork that's suitable for a cover. But I was just caught by his expression. And I knew as soon as I saw it that I had to use it for this. Because okay. it's it's just- So Chris was just along for the ride. You got anything to add? Uh, <laughs> the facial expression was just like, oh yeah, that's it. Um, but more importantly, I want to you know, because I think she's too modest to do it herself. Cedar is a quadruple threat here. So cover artist, publisher, editor, and writer contributor to this. So this really, you know, is uh, her uh, her child, so to speak, here. And um, I just want to make sure that she gets full credit for all of those roles, you know, that she played in putting this together, because that's fantastic. Okay, well done then. Well, thank you. All but right. really what it is, is Knock, that I'm a bit I of a control it. freak. 
<laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Doc, I swear I said camo pattern, not camel pattern. I swear, I swear. to God, it sounded if like you listen you to it in post. I will. Just, and if anybody else did you just say camel pattern? Camel, I will. I don't know. I'll buy them a drink at a con. I'll make JR buy them a drink. All right. We'll see. <laughs> now, she's, they're just going to agree with you for the free booze. I know how that works. All right. So hey, let's uh, you know move on to the. To the I'll take it as a win. Project. All right. So what would the 30-second elevator pitch be for this uh, this collection of stories? Given the look on Chris's face, I think I'm up. Um, so the 30-second elevator pitch for this bundle of stories is that these are all military-themed. Um, they all have a thread pulling through them of hope and healing and finding family um, inside and outside uniform. And it is, at its core, dealing with post-traumatic stress and finding your way home again through that glass wall that keeps you from being able to rejoin your family. Okay. So what, cat? I mean, if someone was looking to get a theme for this book, aside from, because I don't think PTSD is a genre, uh, what, what would you classify this book as for the genres to give people sort of an idea? When I set up the keywords at publication, it will go under military fiction. Um, it has fantasy stories, it has science fiction in it, and it has at least one and possibly two, now that I'm skipping a beat on the brain, um, that are just straight up military fiction, no fantasy involved. So this is really okay. very wide open. There's a, for if you're a reader and you aren't necessarily into sci-fi or maybe you're into just fantasy, there is something in there for any kind of reader who wishes to focus on some of these kind of topics. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I think that's awesome because it provides, it's a very focused theme, but it's also a very broad story style. Yes, and, and that's what I was looking for, is I did not want to limit it um, to a specific genre, um, partly because I like to read all kinds of different things, and I know a lot of people do, and also because I wanted the authors to be able to explore it well. So what was your story in this? Where would you say it fits? So my story in this is... Um, it's science fiction. It's not zombies, but it's very close to zombies. And it's the story of a woman who is faced between with a choice between her team and her family. And she has to um, work through some of the stuff that she's dealt with and try not to bring it home with her. That's a hard choice to make. Yeah. So as a mom, I get it. And as a soldier, I get it. It's a yeah. hard choice to make. And not um, having been a soldier, I was so, worried about it, um, about being able to convey it properly. But I've, I've run it by some people for feedback. And um, they said that it, it works. It resonates. So so as we know, you have con uh, confessed to being genre fluid in your <laughs> writing style. Where do you fit on this spectrum are you, is it a literature a sci-fi or a so my story in this is science fiction okay so 
how about you, Chris? What do you what did you write? Did you write speculative fiction or did you write uh, hardcore history stuff? I was going for something that was more weird tale. So okay. I don't know if we pulled it off or not because there's a little science fiction, a little fantasy, definitely some supernatural aspects to it, and a little bit of history too. I couldn't let it go. Well, ask JR after he's done reading it because he loves to argue with me about what things really are categorized as oh in that case i really want to hear your feedback on this it's the most deeply personal <laughs> thing i've ever you know i've written so far um so you know a little nervous about how it's going to get received um there's a lot of christmas themed stories in this mine's christmas themed um going to be straight up honest with you about that uh, and you know a bit of my background too so i would even say it's very catholic and uh you know go we'll leave it at that i would almost say it's magical so, realism Okay. Now that so sounds like you a have, professor um, so, answer. So, so Chris, have you read all the other stories or just your own? Um, I haven't read any of them yet. I'm looking forward to it. Um, one, one, one other author I want to highlight too, and this is uh, Steve Murphy, who is a Desert Storm Army vet, um, who is just happy because like he's he wrote a bunch of stuff like years and years ago, and this has been an opportunity for him to actually get some of it in the print. And he was like super, you know, grateful for that. And so I pointed him towards the antho originally. So I'm going to claim a little credit for that one. But um, I'm just happy to see somebody get an opportunity to do something like that. So I'm looking forward to the whole thing, the whole shebang. Steve's story so is excellent. I'm assuming Cedar as the publisher. I'm assuming as the publisher that you've read them all. Do you have a favorite, Cedar? Um, well, that's that's like asking a mother what her favorite child is. I mean. <laughs> I'm not my sure. Son asks my, this answer. <laughs> my son asks my mother that all the time. And then he <laughs> smiles and he goes, I admit, right? <laughs> I, I I would say I would say given given who I'm talking to at the moment, Chris's story, because it started it all. But <laughs> But I've also got to say that the fact that I got to accept a story from my grandmother, that one just made my my life right there. Um, I'll probably never get to do that again. Yeah. She does, this is her first and only fiction that I'm aware of. Wow, that's really exciting. So will this be coming out in audiobook as well, or will this be a print and ebook only? Uh, this will be print and ebook only. I don't know. I don't do audiobook for my own stuff. Um, I know I should. Long story why I don't. Um, so I'm not it's sure. Complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's really complicated. And that's what I'm saying is I'm not really sure um, what paths I would have to take to put this out as far as an audiobook. So well, JR, is this going to be wide or is this going to be uh, Amazon? I plan to. I, uh, I, like I plan to read this one so wide. Okay, so if uh, if you guys are listening and you're Barnes and Noble, all the other places that people read that isn't Amazon, you'll be able to check this one out as well. Um, and when we publish it, I will see if I can get links uh, for the wide stories. Uh, help you guys find that as well, instead of just the Amazon link we normally do. Um, That's because so Jr. loves the, Amazon. I mean, Bezos, uh, he is the oracle of all things right and proper. Are you vomiting a little bit in your mouth, Doc? <laughs> There's a so reason this, we don't let uh, you do math. Be a one in Science. 
command decisions. Just hand wave them, invert the polarity of the dilithium crystals. You're good to go. Um, so is this going to be a one and done? Are you going to do some follow-ups of this uh, collection sort of style? I, I'm not planning on doing any follow-ups currently. When I started this, I hadn't planned on moving across the country and starting two new jobs <laughs> and then having my husband take eight months to finally rejoin me. Um, so we finally got the house sold. He's here. Life is going to settle down for a while and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, so dear listeners, if you want to encourage her to do another one, then you've got to buy all the things. Buy one for yourself, buy it for a friend, stick one in a lending library. You know what you got to do. Now, if this is going wide, does this also mean you're going to be having it available through uh, Drive? Was it what's the place that gets ebooks you can rent, like libraries and stuff? Uh, getting a book into Overdrive is not quite that easy, unfortunately. Um, but I do have a couple of librarian friends that I can reach out to, and we might we might be able to do something. We'll see. Okay, so we're we're at the hour mark. We've we've talked, I think, around circles around the topic. So, is there anything that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we bring this puppy home? Chris. Uh, I w okay. I feel like I music. Chris is waiting. <laughs> I don't think he uh, he didn't unmute his mic. No, I was deferring to uh, glorious editor in chief. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that of the uh, authors that are in this, um, quite a few of them are former military. I think Chris may be the only one that's current. Um, but J.L. Curtis, old NFO, um, was Navy Mustang officer. Um, Law Dog is former Army. William Lehman is former Navy. So, and Stephen Murphy, and of course, Chris. And I'm sure there's somebody else in there I'm missing, but those are the ones that I'm aware of. So there's quite a lot of experience in this book. So, do you think you're going to be willing to do this again? Another anthology? I think I'd be willing to do it again. Just maybe not in a year when I'm moving and changing jobs. And <laughs> Okay. So now everything's up in the air and in a blender. Got it. Right. <laughs> so that's wonderful to hear, though. We, we, we love short content here. I'm a huge fan. Sometimes that's all you have time for to read. So like we try to encourage it and we'll do interviews just on that because I love it so much. It's sort of something I'm passionate about. And uh, and that's actually where I started uh, reading grown-up stuff was through short stories. So it is something we are very passionate about. But all right. So as we bring this to a close, I will remind you, dear listener, that if you buy the book, you read the book, you enjoy the book, please leave a review of the book. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. It's important, people. And I hear... Well, you know what? I'm not even going to make the unicorn joke this time because this is a little bit more serious, but just just do the things, right? It helps the book. Okay. So, all right. Um, Cedar, can, can you tell listeners how they can find you? Listeners can find my work um, at Amazon. And if you type in my name, it will come up because I'm unique. And if you would like to read my blog, which is very eclectic, I will warn you, there are recipes, there are mommy blogs, and it's cedarwrites.com. How about you, Chris? Right. How do people find you? Um, both um, Jamie and I have Amazon author pages. 
Um, and we have a combined uh, page on uh, Facebook now uh, for both the two of us. And um, we both um, pimp each other's work there. You know, when you buy one, you're getting both. Uh, we, we work on each other's stuff as well. Um, the name on the cover is who did about the 99% uh, work on it. But uh, it's a full team effort over here. Okay, and you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. Uh, you can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen. It's facebook.com backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Be sure to go in there and tell Seska all the 101 million ways she's wrong. And while JR is right, uh, I could use your help. She threatens to cut me when I tell her that. Uh, we have a website where uh, we post this, which is anchor. <laughs> I see what you did, Doc. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. You can support us there for a reoccurring uh, subscription, much like a Patreon model. If you want to help keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay, you could also support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and we will keep Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Outstanding. <laughs> you forgot the never give up part no no sometimes it's just better to quit uh, on, on some stupid things no, but never on this one and never on pineapple on pizza so thank you for spending some of it your it does not be long uh, we'll, hold on what? you brought it up I wasn't going to but Chris, Chris and Cedar now get to weigh in on the great debate and tell you why you're wrong does pineapple belong on pizza Yes. No. Yes. No. Oh my God. All right. Chris, okay, I'll serve her on the lot. Uh thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. JR Hanley. Um I'm Seska. This was a Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, same place where we indulge our love of of nerd culture, pineapple, pizza, and pineapple on pizza, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.